Yeah, we want to just uh, acknowledge all the mothers here today and I hope you get a gift and be able to spend some time with us after the service. We, uh, I wanted to uh, share a, like a news flash uh, with you as we start this, this morning, and that is um, you all have been born. <laughs> yeah, we all have been born. If your mother's here today, she can give testimony to the fact that yes, you were born. Uh, I know that's, that's a weird question. But anyway, the, the question for us today is not whether we've been born naturally or not. The question for us today is have we been born spiritually? And that's the issue. Have we been born above? Have we been born again? And this morning I want us to examine, I want the Holy Spirit to help you examine your spiritual birth. Because we, we don't get to heaven by going to church, we get to heaven by being born again. And uh, that's really the most important thing. The Bible tells us to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will descend upon this place today and give us all the ability to know whether we are in the faith that we are born again. Today we'll begin a three-part series on spiritual birth. And this morning we're going to look at the necessity of spiritual birth. And in the weeks to come, we'll look at the complications that sometimes occur during spiritual birth. And then lastly, the growth that happens after our spiritual birth. This morning we're going to look at a familiar portion of scripture. A story is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 3. It's the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. It's a very, very interesting conversation. I'm sure that you might be familiar with it. Uh, you know, I've never preached on this text before, um, maybe because I didn't want somebody thinking that I was taking, you know, like a softball pitch when it came to sermon development and stuff, and, and uh, but, you know, this text, this story really does have some basic uh, tenets of the Christian faith, uh, but it's also very challenging to us. You know, as a as a as a pastor, you know, you're you're set up with these these holidays, you know, and everybody wants you to be innovative and stuff, you know. But guess what? When it comes to Easter, the topic is Jesus' resurrection. And it's the same topic every year at Easter time. And when it comes to Christmas, guess what? It's the it's the birth of Christ, you know. And so when you come to Mother's Day, you get to be a little bit more flexible, but everybody wants you to, you know, focus in on the topic of the mothers and this type of thing. And, uh, I, I really was seeking the Lord, and I thought, well, maybe the best thing for us to do is just to really look at the whole idea of spiritual birth. Um, with Mother's Day, in some ways, is a celebration of the birth of life uh, through our moms. Uh, but what about uh, the gift of life uh, through Jesus Christ? So let's, uh, let's, let's look at the text this morning. As I read the story, I'd like for you to think about three things. One is the inquiring man. Secondly, an important message. And then thirdly, an inspiring message at the very end. I want you to think about these things even as I read God's word for us this morning. Hear now the word of God. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, well, How can a man be born when he is old? 
He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it came, it came from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now we'll jump to verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe upon him would not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. We finish the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Now the inquiring man, of course, his name is Nicodemus, and he's not just a Pharisee. Pharisees were the leading religious party in Jerusalem and Israel during the time of Christ. But he's also a ruler of the Jews, the text tells us. What that means is that he's a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the final court of appeals for matters regarding Jewish law and religion. So this inquiring man, Nicodemus, was a man of prominence, wisdom, and religious prestige. Now, notice the scripture tells us that he came to Jesus by night or in the night, and many suggest that the reason why Nicodemus came to Jesus during the night was that he was concerned and afraid about the repercussions that would come upon him from his fellow Pharisees. But regardless, it is clear from the text that Nicodemus came, had come to the conclusion that Jesus was a teacher sent by God. And he figured that out because no one could do the signs that Jesus was doing unless God was with him. Now it seems that Nicodemus was inquiring what Jesus thought about his conclusion. But Jesus wasn't going to have anything to do with this possible endorsement from this earthly judge. Jesus was not running a political campaign where he needed endorsements. Jesus was not involved in a popularity contest trying to become the prom king. Jesus discerns that Nicodemus' inquiry had a deeper significance. Nicodemus wanted to know who Jesus was. Nicodemus wanted to know if Jesus was sent by God. And possibly even deeper than that, Nicodemus wanted to know if Jesus is God in the flesh. Now, Nicodemus, by his own knowledge, had concluded that Jesus was a great teacher. He had concluded that Jesus was even a miracle worker. But he really didn't know who Jesus was. Brothers and sisters, a person can come to the conclusion that Jesus is a great teacher. People have done that throughout the centuries. A person can come to the conclusion that Jesus will, is one of the greatest world's philosophers. That's been done through the centuries. A person can come to the conclusion that Jesus is a historical religious figure. Doesn't take a lot of knowledge to figure that one out. 
the fact is, you can't really know who Jesus is unless you're born again. That's why Jesus answers Nicodemus saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus is saying that unless one is born again, you will never understand God's rule and reign in your life. And you'll never really understand who Jesus is. Now, Nicodemus, as I mentioned before, belonged to the Pharisee religious party. Let's just call it PRP, all right? The Pharisee religious party. And we know that the Pharisees, they get a bad rap because they're very legalistic in their view. But you need to understand that the PRP was the, the most theological conservative party in Jesus' day. And you need to understand that to be a member of the PRP meant that Nicodemus, as well as his other his fellow members, fasted two times a week, memorized scripture, attended weekly worship services regularly, prayed publicly, tithed 10% of his income, and he believed in God. No, I mean, on most people's standards, this is signing this guy up for church membership right now. I mean, what's the problem? But Jesus is saying to this inquiring man who fasted, memorized scripture, attended church, prayed, tithed, and believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus tells us that many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? And the Lord will say, I never knew you. Now, if anyone could have snuck into the back door of heaven, it was Nicodemus. He was doing all the right things. He, be he believed all the right things. But the problem was, he wasn't born again. And unless you're born again, born from above, spiritually born, you cannot know the rule and reign of Christ in your life. So Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And this word see means to perceive, to know, to experience. Jesus is telling this inquiring man that unless you're born again, you will never know who I am. Unless you're born again, you will never know the kingdom of God. Unless you're born again, you will never enjoy eternal life. Now the story of Nicodemus, it reminds me of the testimony of John Wesley. John Wesley was one of the founders of the Methodist movement in the United States. You see these Methodist churches that John Wesley was one of the founders of that, that movement. But you probably know John Wesley better because he was a hymn writer. There's a couple of hymns that are kind of popular. One that we sing during Christmas, Heart the Herald Angels Sing. That was John Wesley. Right, the one who sang at Easter, Christ the Lord is risen today. That was John Wesley. Now, Wesley was raised in an Anglican home in England, and as a young man, he attended 
Oxford, and he proved to be a, a fine scholar, and eventually was, and soon was ordained as an Anglican minister. At Oxford, he joined this Christian society whose members took vows to lead holy lives, to take communion once a week, pray daily, and to visit prisons regularly. In addition to those things, they took a vow that they would spend three hours every afternoon studying the Bible and other devotional materials. Now, eventually, uh, Wesley, like our youth uh, this summer, uh, journeyed as a missionary to the state of Georgia. It's true. That's when uh, they would send missionaries to the United States. Maybe they need a little bit of that going on these days, too. Anyway, uh, so he came to the state of Georgia as a missionary in the Anglican Church, and he had a disappointing experience, and he got on a boat and went back home. Remember, this is like the 1700s. Now, after arriving home, Wesley came to the conclusion that he lacked saving faith. He came to a conclusion that he wasn't a Christian. I just let that marinate a little bit. He's an ordained minister. He's a missionary who has vowed to live a holy life, took communion, prayed, studied the Bible three hours a day, and he concluded he, he wasn't a Christian. I'm not a Christian. And Wesley, he maintained the spiritual frustration until the evening of May 24th, 1738, where he had an experience that changed his life. He describes it in his journal when he says, In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society meeting where one was reading Luther's preface to the Epistle of Romans. About quarter before nine, so about 8.45 that evening, while the reader was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. What a great evening that was, right? Now, when, when Wesley uses this phrase, I felt my heart strangely warm, that what he's referring to is the supernatural work of God in a person's heart that brings them to saving faith in Christ. Something's stirring up in here, up in here, up in here. Something's going on, and you can really sense that God is working, and you don't quite know what it is. You can't really describe it, but something's going on in your heart, and you really sense God is wanting to work His will in your life. Uh, you know, Kierkegaard said this, The opposite of sin is not virtue, but faith. The opposite of sin is not for you to become more moral. That's not what makes you a Christian. You getting your cards right. That's not what makes you a Christian. The opposite of sin is faith, belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is where John Wesley came to. He 
didn't have faith until that night in May, 1738. Now, Nicodemus, like John Wesley, like us all, need spiritual birth. We need to be born again. We don't need more religious activities. We don't need more morality. We need to be born again. But Nicodemus, it seems that he was fixated on the natural. So he asked Jesus these questions. How can a man be born when he is old? How He cannot enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? It's kind of like when I asked the question, or I told you the newsflash at the beginning of the sermon. Guess what? You've been born. Everybody, oh, the preacher's trying to be funny. You know, like, here Nicodemus, man, he is like, he just said, can a, can a person, like, enter back into his mother's, his mother's womb and be born? I mean, what are you talking about, Jesus? Remember, Nicodemus believed that Jesus was a teacher sent from God. So he's not being sarcastic here. He's really trying to figure this out. He'd already affirmed the supernatural in Jesus. But he was missing the fact that he needed the supernatural in himself. And so Jesus answers, truly, truly, I say it to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Remember, Nicodemus is fixated on the natural. So out of kindness, Jesus separates the natural and the spiritual. By saying, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now when Jesus says born of the water, he's referring to natural birth. Where at the beginning of or during labor, a woman's water breaks. And guess what? The baby's on its way. And all the ladies said, yep, been there. But notice Jesus says, born of water, so he has to be born naturally. And the spirit, he has to be born spiritually. So what Jesus is saying is, as certain as you know that you were born naturally, as certain as you know, when I said, hey, newsflash, you've all been born, you're like, yeah, all right. As certain as you know you've been born naturally, you need to have certainty that you've been born spiritually. This is very important. Because unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is, this is very important. Because unless one is born of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And just so that Nicodemus gets it, Jesus reiterates his point, separating the natural from the spiritual, by saying, that which is born of flesh is flesh, referring to natural words. But that is born of spirit is spirit, referring to spiritual words. So again, as certain as you know, you've been born physically, naturally. You need to have the certainty. It's very important that you have the certainty to know that you've been born spiritually. This is a very important message. Do not 
be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. Now this whole issue of, of spiritual birth, this is not marginal in the Christian faith. This is central to the Christian faith. Being born again is not a metaphor. It is a reference to the supernatural work of God. Being born again is not some mystical, emotional experience. But rather, it's a supernatural experience of God working in your heart. The grace of Jesus Christ. See, being born again is how we become the children of God. Born not of the blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but born of God. Now this, this phrase, born again, it's unique to Jesus and it's unique to the Christian faith. Now I'm going to date myself here. But the whole phrase of born again or born again Christian became popular in the United States where in the late 70s, President Jimmy Carter referenced his Christian faith as being a born again Christian. And then about that same time, Chuck Colson, who had been convicted in the Watergate scandal, he wrote a book about his conversion experience, and guess what he titled the book? Born Again. So at that time, within the United States, a person would identify their experience or their faith in Christ as, I'm a born again Christian. I'm a born again Christian. I'm a born-again Christian. But to say that you're a born-again Christian is like saying a single man is an unmarried bachelor. Get it? A single man is the same thing as an unmarried bachelor. Saying that you're a born-again Christian is the same thing as saying a triangle is like a three-sided triangle. Yeah. A triangle and a three-sided triangle are exactly the same thing, right? So to say that you're a born-again Christian, you're basically saying the same thing. Because you cannot be a Christian unless you're born again. And you, if you're born again, guess what? You're a Christian. Do not be amazed when I say to you, you must be born again. This phrase, born again, Jesus is not talking about adopting a philosophy. Jesus is not talking about embracing a morality. Jesus not, is not talking about identifying yourself with a certain religious sect or denomination. Jesus is talking about the supernatural work of God in a person's heart that brings them to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. And to emphasize the sovereign work of God in the hearts of people, Jesus gives an illustration. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus is stressing the point that to be born of the Spirit is the sovereign work of God's grace 
through Jesus Christ. The Spirit blows where it wishes. You see the effects of it. You don't know where it came from. You don't know where it's going. But you certainly know it's been there. <coughs> I've shared my personal experience of being born again many times. And I want to share it again this morning. My personal experience was very direct and very dramatic. I had been raised in a church, gone to Sunday school, summer camp, the whole nine yards. But I was living in rebellion against God and against man. Now, my parents have done a great job in planting the seed of the gospel into my heart. But nothing was taking root. Until one day, June of 1976, where I found myself in the living room of my father's house. And my father said to me, Brian, the only answer for your life is Jesus Christ. And I've heard that my whole life growing up. But that day, it was like an arrow that pierced my heart. So I got down on my knees and I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. God, according to his great mercy, had caused me to be born again. Now, I, I want you to understand, when I went to my father's house that day, and when I sat down with him in the living room, I had no intentions on becoming a Christian. None. No one. Uh, surrendering my life to Jesus Christ was the furthest thing from my mind. I was happy in my rebellion, and I was well pleased with my sinful behavior. Trust me, I was having a grand old time. But God, by His grace, caused the wind of the Holy Spirit to blow into my heart. And I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. God transformed my heart. He renewed my mind. The old things passed away. Behold, all things became new. God had done a supernatural work in my heart, causing me to be born again. Therefore, I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord. I believed in my heart that God had raised Jesus from the dead. And guess what? I was saved. That day changed my life. Because I've been shackled by heavy burdens, beneath a load of guilt and shame, but then the hand of Jesus touched me, and now I am no longer the same. He touched me. Oh, let me tell you, He touched me, and oh, the joy that flooded my soul. Something happened, and now I know. He touched me, and He made me me whole. Praise be to his holy name. People ask me, do I need to know the date that I was spiritually born? And the answer is no. You don't have to know the date when the Lord touched your life. When You don't need to know the date when he drew you to himself. But you need to know the general time. You know, we're a very calendar conscious people, society. But you know, there's there's people throughout the world that don't know what day they were born on. Well, we had the orphanage in, 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 in Haiti 
the, the overwhelming majority of those kids didn't know what their birthday was. But they, the, the family knew that they were born in the springtime of that this year or, this, or the fall time of that year. They knew the general idea of when they were born. And that's the way it is spiritually as well. You, you can know the day, but, but maybe you don't. But if you don't, you need to really take time to think how God worked in your heart. And, and when did it happen? When, when did God bring you to himself? That's okay. But think about it. You know, the thing is, you need to think about it because you need to share your story. People could argue with you all day about the Bible and the interpretation of this verse or that verse, but I tell you, nobody can say oh, your, your story is a lie. Sometimes God uses your story as the greatest thing because a person can't say, well, that didn't happen to you. <laughs> it did. You call me a liar, man? <laughs> also, I believe that many people will confuse a spiritual encounter with Jesus with being born again. Right, let me just tell you, I, personally, I had many spiritual encounters with Jesus growing up. I went to, to, to church services, to, to revival meetings, where I would cry, I'd go down to the altar, I would kneel, I would pray, the elders would lay their hands on me, they would pour some oil on me, I got baptized, the whole thing. But, I would just go right back into my rebellion. Sometimes I'd do it on the car ride home after the church meeting. But on that day, June of 1976, I was born again. I didn't just have a spiritual encounter with Jesus. God worked faith in my heart. Let me try to explain using like a spirit, a natural birth analogy. And maybe you moms can, can help me out because you're, you're really the experts here, okay? But the way I see it, there's basically kind of like three stages. There's conception, there's pregnancy, and then there's birth, right? And so, you know, so the pregnancy, that's a fun time trying to get pregnant. That's really cool. But anyway, um, you have the pregnancy, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you know, oh, we're going to have a baby. Everybody's happy, right? You have these revealing parties. It's all, it's all fun. It's all cool. That's conception. That's when the seed is planted. Right? And then you go into this pregnancy period. Some women call it hell. <laughs> right? You go through and, and this thing in you starts to develop, getting bigger, it changes your body, changes your hormones, changes your temperament, it just, it just whacks you out. And as it goes on, you're more and more and more misery. Walking around with a bowling ball in your belly. And then comes the, the birth. And all the misery is forgotten. The little family right there, and he's so cute. Don't you just remember the last nine months? What happened to you? I don't care. Look, look, look. <laughs> I think the same thing happens there is a conception period where the seed is planted. There's this pregnancy period where things are developing and moving around in your life. And sometimes you're irritated because you've got one step towards God, another step towards the world. And you're frustrated by your own thoughts and feelings. 
That might be a long time, but it basically is how it happens. My, my point is, is that you need to know when the Lord delivered you from your sin and misery. You need to know when the Lord enlightened your mind to the knowledge of Christ, when he renewed your will, when he persuaded and enabled you to embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You need to know that you're born again. And if you're born again, you need to know how you got there. What was the journey of your spiritual growth? A person says, well, how can I know that I'm born again? Let me just share this is a this silly illustration. This this pen represents my life. And I'm basic, I was basically going away from God. My parents were telling me I needed to go that way. <laughs> my, my family told me I needed to go that way. But I said, oh, no, no, no. I was very determined I was going to go this way. And then I'd have these spiritual encounters with Jesus. I'd go to the revival meeting or something like that. I'd go down the aisle and I'd pray and weep. And then on the way home, I'd, you know, I don't want to tell you what I did. But anyway. <laughs> so, but when I was at the revival meeting, I would feel, I would feel this. But once, I'd, I'd clean right back. And then I would have another spiritual encounter. And I'd clean right back. Right back of walking away from God. Then there was one day in June of 1976 where God did this to me. A 180. The Bible uses the term repentance to describe that. Now I'm walking towards God. And I'm, I go through times of temptation. Bam. No, I'm walking towards God. I go through times of trial. Bam. No, I'm walking towards God. My default now is to walk towards God. Because I'm in Christ. My default before was to walk towards the world because I wasn't in Christ. What happened? I became born again. And that's what needs to happen. That's how you know if you really are born again. What's your default? Is your default to return back to sin, to keep on doing sinful stuff? Well, then you need to ask yourself, are you really born again? But I'm not saying, listen, I'm not perfect. And I know for certain you're not perfect. But anyway, listen, listen. My default, as imperfect as I am, is to follow Christ. Because he's my Lord and Savior. He saved me from my sin and from myself. I want to serve him. I want to love him. He caused me to be born again. Praise be to his holy name. And then lastly, there's this inspiring message in these last two verses. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son, his son into the world to judge the world, but the world might be saved through him. You know, Jesus said these words. This is not an editorial comment. If you have one of those Bibles where the words of Jesus are in red, these words are in red. Jesus said these things. And Jesus said these things because he wants us to know what God is really like. The scriptures tells us this is one of the purposes of the Father sending the Son, so that we would know God and know what God is like, so we could see God in the flesh and, and know what God is like. And Jesus is basically 
given us this, this inspiring message so that we know what God is like. What We know what our Heavenly Father is. And first of all, our Heavenly Father, our God, is love. God doesn't hate you. He loves you. For God so loved the world. Secondly, Jesus wants you to know that our God is a giver. He's not a taker. He's a giver. He, and it's obvious, obvious that he's a giver because he gave us his only begotten son. Jesus said, I want you to understand what God is like. God is love. He is a giver of all good things. And then he goes on, I want you to know what God's will is. God's will is that whoever believes in me shall not perish but have everlasting life. You want to know what God's will is for your life? God's will for your life is that you would believe in Christ and share an eternal life. That's God's will for your life. That's what God wants for you. And then Jesus capstones this whole thing with this showing us God's divine desire that the world might be saved through him. Did you know the Bible says that God is not wishing for any to, to perish but all to come to repentance? God is not some monger monster wanting to devour you. He wants to give you salvation. That's his desire. That's his divine desire. To give you salvation. Listen, why would he send his son to judge the world? Judging the world? That's easy. We do it all the time. I'm judging everybody on the, on the roads as we're trying to get from one place to the next. <laughs> Idiot. Stupid. <laughs> Judging the world? Why would he send his only begotten son to judge the world? That's, that's kindergarten stuff. He sent his son in the world so that you might be saved. Come to Christ today. Maybe you are the inquiring man. You've come to certain conclusions about Jesus, but you really don't know who he is. But today, God has introduced to you an important message. And you're starting to comprehend that salvation comes from Christ. God, by his own spirit, is inspiring his will in your heart and causing you to, to really embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. I began this sermon telling you that I wanted you to examine your spiritual birth. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would descend upon this place and give us all the ability to know if we are in the faith, if we are born again. Brothers and sisters, what gives us the right to go out into the world and tell people to be born again when we don't even know our own story? When we believe, we can't even put together a, a storyline of how God brought us to saving faith. Judgment begins in the house of God. And for you, here today, I pray that your heart is strangely warmed by the gospel and that you confess Jesus Christ today. Even as I pray, as the elders will be up front to pray with you. Let me just conclude by saying there's an episode in the book of Acts where the Apostle Paul is sharing the gospel with King Agrippa. And after Paul goes through this whole 
speech, if you would, King Agrippa says to Paul, it's just going to be a short time and you're going to persuade me to become a Christian. And the apostle responds, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, a follower of Christ. I don't know if God working in your life is a short experience or a long experience. That's God's business. That's not mine. But I would to God. I would to God that everyone who hears my voice today would be what I am. Born again. Follow Christ. Surrender.